The coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last stage it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Morris. We're going to, if you remember, last week we were filling in this and we're going to talk a bit more about this in a minute of how we were praying for five. But just before we do this, we're going to watch a a video. This is a video that came out this week on the Thy Kingdom Come website. It's by, it's it's something that came out, I think it was Wednesday, by by John Sentamu, basically. And it's him talking about what happened when he prayed for five people last year. And so I'm going to ask them to, to put up the audio a little bit because John said to me, as, as some of you will know, if you know his story, he's Ugandan. So sometimes, but the words are there as well. So let's watch this now. I prayed for people, five people in thy kingdom come last year. And I was most astounded when two people came to Christ. 
and they wrote to me to tell me, but I, I hadn't told them that I was praying for them. This what was so amazing. I hadn't told them. Um, they say, I've become a Christian. I've given my life to the Lord, and I've been praying for them. So I put on two more. Do you know the good news is? The other three also have given their lives to Christ. And one of them is now at the moment wondering whether she should become a church warden. Another one has reconciled themselves to their family. They had actually broken up for a very, very long time. Another one has decided to be a volunteer uh, to go overseas. And another one is actually now helping with Sunday school. Now, this is not a long time ago since they became a Christian. And another one is considering the possibility, do you think God may be calling me to lay full-time ministry? And all of them, very varied, very different, actually have found Jesus. And I've had the pleasure of giving them these prayer beads. It's not a rosary, prayer beads. And do you know what? They're doing the same thing. They found five people, and they're doing exactly what I do, going through the day, that they will become Christians. So I've now got a complete, fresh, fresh names, and some of these are very high-powered people. Some of them are cleaners, so some of them are politicians. Um, in all kinds of way of life, some of them are doctors. I'm hoping that by that kingdom come, in those 11 days, they will all have found Christ, and I'm picking up another five, and another five, and another five. And the simplest way of doing this is to find a person and simply say the Lord's Prayer. Go for another one, the Lord's Prayer. That's sufficient, because Jesus said when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be on earth, as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them who trespass against us. You know? And I found that been such a joy. Kind of incredible, really, isn't it? Now, you might think, oh, well, he's an archbishop. So his prayers count. So like, Mo, I told you last week, Jesus has no favorites, basically. And so... We've got this, this star, if you remember, if you were here last week, and we filled in the star of, of five names or five initials of people who, who, who don't know Jesus, who we want to pray for to, to come to know Jesus. Now, you'll see there's the, there's the odd space. So if you weren't here last Sunday, it was half term, you may have been aware, there's some stars if you want to add them to there and take one of these prayer for five cards. And I said what we're going to do every Sunday... And it's the service leader's responsibility to make sure it happens. So I better start with me, basically. We're going to bring this out every, every Sunday and pray for them. And to remind us to, 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 to go and to pray each week for these people. You know, I, I had a conversation with, with someone in this church from this congregation just, just over there this week. And they were telling me how they, how they don't have five They have 36. And then I thought of of what she was saying, and she was saying, these are 36 people. They aren't people who've never known Jesus. These are 36 people who have known Jesus at some stage in their life. They've been part of this church, and they've been part of this church more than 10 years ago, I guess. So something over, maybe over a period of decades. 
they've kind of just slipped away. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask her, she doesn't know I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to embarrass her, but I'm going to ask her to put her 36 on the back as a, as a reminder to, 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 to pray for them. And we'll pray about them in, in different ways. This, way, this week, the way we're going to pray about it is we're just going to say this prayer that, that comes up on, on, on the screen now. And if we want to then kind of like add someone because you weren't here last week, then just, then just take a star. If you run out of a star, we'll get you a star for next week or whenever, and we'll just add to it from there. So shall we pray together now? Almighty God, we say together, your ascended Son has sent us into the world to preach the good news of your kingdom. Inspire us by your Spirit and fill our hearts with the fire of your love that all who hear your word may be drawn to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Why don't we turn to page 127 in our Bibles, if we haven't still got it open, to this, to this very famous story. You know, if I was to ask you this morning, what are the, if you like, the three greatest and most important Christ, Christian festivals, I wonder what you would, what you would say. I wonder where you'd, where you'd kind of start. See, I'd probably... Well, I'd probably kind of go with the one that everyone kind of knows, and Christmas. So I'd probably start there, and I'd think, well, what is Christmas about? And I think about Christmas, and I think, well, Christmas is about God coming to be with us. And then I think, well, where would I go next? And I'd probably go, well, I'd, I'd go Easter. You know, the good old Church of England initials, Christmas and Easter. And I'd start, and I'd think, well, if I had to summarize Easter, how would I summarize Easter? And it'd be like, well, really... Easter's about when we celebrate, when we remember how God, much God is for us. How he died on the cross and was rose back, risen from the dead to defeat sin and death. That's, I remember Easter. And then the third, well, the third is today. Pentecost is the third greatest Christian festival. It's the, it's the festival when we remember the, the coming of the Spirit. And if I had to sum up Pentecost, how would I do it? I'd kind of do it in this way. It's when we celebrate and we remember how God's Spirit came to live in us. Christmas, God with us. Easter, God for us. Pentecost, God in us. And I find starting from there is a very helpful way to explore and deepen what each of those particular festivals actually means. You see, every Christian has the Holy Spirit living in them. Every Christian. We, we know that is true because we get told, Paul wrote to the church in Rome, didn't he? And he said, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, in other words, the Holy Spirit, does not belong to him. As some of you know, if you went into the rectory, and if you went into the kitchen, just off the kitchen there is a door. And if you were to open the door, you'd, you'd find this big old-fashioned boiler. You know, maybe you've got a, 
a house that's got one of these big old old-fashioned boilers in them. And the way in which you can tell, if you like, that the boiler is, is working is to check if the pilot light is on. And you know, every Christian, if you like, is a, is a pilot-like Christian. Every Christian, if you like, that imagery is if when we become a Christian, it's as if the pilot light, if you like, gets switched on in the boiler of our spirit. And we become alive because if the, if the boiler doesn't have the pilot light on, it's dead, isn't it? And that's exactly what we are before we become Christians. The Bible tells how we are dead to Christ. But something changed on the day of Pentecost. Because on the day of Pentecost, if you like, what happened was that these were pilot-like Christians, weren't they? On the day of Pentecost, if we just think about it for a, for a minute. You know, what do we know of those who were gathered in that, in that one place? Well, this is what we know of those who were gathered in that one place. We know that there were about 120 of them. The reason we know that is because we can read verse 15 of chapter 1 on page 126. We know that they were, they were, they were all together in one place. We know that they were, they were probably praying. Maybe they were, were worshipping God. Maybe they'd started having church services by then because we know it would have been a Sunday morning because Pentecost happens 50 days after Easter Day. And we know it was probably before 9 o'clock in the morning. And we know it was before 9 o'clock in the morning because Peter starts going outside and, and talking to everyone. And when they think that they've just had too much alcohol, he says, well, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Of course we haven't. And suddenly the the Holy Spirit just kind of descends upon them, doesn't he? He just descends upon them like this blowing violent wind, kind of like that we experienced yesterday if you were out with me on on Groner. And these tongues of fire just, just fell upon each of them. Incredibly. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in, in, in other languages, and we'll come on to that in a minute, as the Spirit led them. And so to be filled, in that sense, with the, with the Holy Spirit, is different from having the Holy Spirit living in us. You know, let's, let's think about this for a minute. Those gathered at, at Pentecost, they were, they were already Christians, if you like, they'd, they were already there. Even though they were frightened, they were scared, they were already Christians. And if you like, returning to my boiler illustration for a minute, the pilot light's always on, but to get heat through the radiators, kind of like the boiler has got to kick into action. It's got to, it's got to fire up. And quite literally, every time I, I'm feeling a bit cold, you know, I was feeling a bit cold this week, so I switched the heating on. And I had my shorts on as well. <laughs> and you know, I did it for, for this reason. This is, it was an illustration, really. 
I did it for this reason. Because I wanted to hear the boiler fire up. You know, I don't know if your boiler does that, but it just like fires it almost like you can hear it even though you can't see it and it kind of explodes into action. And if you, can, if you can imagine it, it's almost as if what happened on the day of Pentecost was this group of 120 people went from being pilot-like Christians to being fired up. And it just kind of exploded and they just went out. And they just told everyone about it. You know, when we think of that context of Pentecost being about God in us, we think about it in the context of being filled with the Holy Spirit, because elsewhere in the Bible, if we, if we just turn for a minute to, to Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, we'll come back to Acts in a minute, but if you want to, on page 208, we read this. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus this time, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, I wonder when you... When you think about those words, what comes to mind? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I noticed two things about it straight away. Basically, I went and read it in the Greek, and so I, I noticed it straight away. There are two things that I noticed. It's not a might do. That's the first thing I noticed. It's a command. It's an imperative. The statement is, be filled be filled with the, with the Holy Spirit. But here's the other thing I notice about it, is that I notice about the tense, it's the present tense. It's not in the past. It's not in the future. It's, it's, it's in the present tense. If you're an English expert, you'll know this, that it, that it implies this. It implies going on, continually being filled with the, with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. It's not, a, it's not a one-off. It's kind of over and over and over again. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because, I mean, it was the 19th century American evangelist D.L. Moody who said it best. Because cause I leak. Because I leak. You leak. And if we were to read around this passage in Ephesians 5, we'd find all these different reasons why we leak. You know, one of them is, is as we said, we do, we do some stupid, foolish things at times. This is what the Bible thinks is stupid and foolish when we, when we drink too much alcohol. Kind of like it just calls it a foolish practice. That's what it says. The word still means foolish in the English as it does in the Greek. It's kind of a normal thing. But if we drink too much alcohol, then what happens is the Holy Spirit leaks out of us. You know, if we, if we do it something evil like harbor anger in our hearts or unforgiveness in our hearts, the Holy Spirit just leaks out of us, doesn't it? We don't feel good. You know, if we engage in kind of sexual practices that aren't biblical, like watching porn and so on from there, then the Holy Spirit just leaks out of us and the list can go over and over and over again. And it, it just leaks out of us and the Bible just says, be filled, be continually filled, be filled right up to the top with the Holy Spirit, over and over again. And as if this is the implication of it. You know, we don't need to become a street pastor. Not that some of us shouldn't become street pastors, but we don't need to become a street pastor to walk around the streets of St. Helier at 2 o'clock on a Saturday morning to know when we can see when someone's drunk, do we? 
You could tell when someone is drunk. And in the same way, it should be just as obvious to be filled with the Spirit. That it's so obvious. You know, you meet people, don't you? I, I meet people and I'd, I'm not quite sure whether they're Christians or not, but I can tell. I can tell because there's just something about them. It's just the Holy Spirit that just, that just comes out of them. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we were to, to explore the book of Acts and if we were to turn back, to page 127. We would actually find, if you like, if you don't know what the book of Acts is all about, if you like, it's this. The book of Acts is all about the history of the church, volume one. And if you want to know what volume two is, it's everything from kind of like that's not in the Bible to today. So it's the history of the church, volume one. And if we were to look each time at when the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, what would we find? This is what we would find. We would find that there was five different occasions when the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. The first one was on the, on the day of Pentecost. And if we were to just look at a kind of what happened there, well, we see that when the Spirit fell upon them, there were signs of the Holy Spirit falling upon them. The first was, the first was this that they all spoke in, in other languages, basically. Or the word is tongues, the Greek word is glossolalia. Basically, if you don't know what tongues is or the other languages, it's when God gives you a language other than one that you've known before. It could be a heavenly language. It could be an earthly language. Uh, but it, it kind of just kind of erupts from inside you. And it's often a, a language of love that you use to express your, your love and your prayers for God in ways that you didn't know before. There are different types of tongues. There are tongues for, for, for what might happen in a church meeting. But this is what it means in this context. It's something that just is amazing. And if you ha- have that gift, then you'll know that. Basically, of how... God just moves. And secondly, we, we see that what happened was they just went out and boldly proclaimed the gospel. It was as if the coming of the Spirit upon them gave them this boldness to, to go out and to, to tell the world. Now, if you, if you turn over a few pages to, to page 135, we'll see the next time when the, when the Holy Spirit, when the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. This time, we're now in this city or in the town of, of Samaria. And we're in Acts chapter 8, and we're at verse 14. And what's, what's happened since is there's been persecution in the church of Jerusalem and the church has had to go out. It's gone out and so on. And the church in Jerusalem, which if you like was the head church, has found out that there are now these followers in Samaria. And so they send two of the apostles, Peter, and they send John to them. And we read in verse 15, if you see, the two went down. And prayed for them that they might receive 
the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Holy Spirit had not come or fallen upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John, we read, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. That's the second time. Well, you don't get told if anything else more happened like that, because happened as well. Because the thing is about the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit moves in the way that he chooses to move. You can't put him in a box. You can't kind of do a do a kind of spreadsheet exercise and look for evidence of the Holy Spirit and then you're going to see kind of like this sign every time and you can tick the box. That isn't how he works because as Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind blows in the reference to the Holy Spirit wherever he pleases. And so the next time we find that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. Actually, it's on the, it's on the very next page if we, if we look at it. You may not think, well, I don't know this, but of course we do know this because it's the famous story of the conversion of, of Saul. And if we were to read there, Saul has met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And what's happened is he's been blinded by that experience and he's now resting. And... Ananias is, is sent to him. You know, when I think about this encounter, so much more I think about Ananias than I think about Saul. Because here's what, here's what I think about Ananias. You know, if we want to grow in our faith, you know, the bad news is this. It involves fear and it involves risk and it will probably involve some level of failure. I wish it didn't involve that, but kind of like I just have to say it. As, as it is, but here's what I also know. I also know this, that, that Jesus shows up for us. And Jesus is wholly adequate to pick us up when we do fail, but there are moments when we just go, wow, that wasn't me, that was only you, Jesus, that enabled us to do this. And here's Ananias, and Ananias had this option, didn't he? You know, I don't think I'd have been, if I'd have been a believer extremely pleased if the Lord had said to me, right, I, when I want you to go to the person who's persecuted the church the most and I want you to go and meet with him one-on-one and pray for him. You know, that took an awful lot of risk and, 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 and so on, but Ananias goes. And we read in verse 17, so Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scales immediately fell from his eyes and his sight was was restored. So that's the next occasion. The next occasion when we read about how believers are filled with the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 10. You can read it on page 138. This time... It's to the Italian, Roman centurion, if you like, and his household. And this time, Peter's still speaking. He's not praying. He's still speaking, and the Holy Spirit fell upon all of them. This is the funniest bit. This shouldn't happen. Do you see that in verse 45? This shouldn't happen. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. This isn't meant to be. This isn't how it's supposed to be. For they heard them, here we see, speaking in tongues and praising and extolling, extolling God. 
And then the final time where we, where we see the Holy Spirit being poured out, if you like, of believers being filled is in Acts chapter 19 in page 149. This time it's to the, it's to the church at, at Ephesus. You know, this time Paul has gone to this church. And we read in verse 2, he says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, No, we had not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And then it says in verse 6, When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues, they spoke in and, and prophecy. In other words, there was this, these prophecies about them. And you know, when we consider each of these occasions when the Spirit fell upon them, you know, if we had to, how would we describe each of those people or the person? You see, how would we describe the people at, at Pentecost? And if I, had to de- if I had to describe them, I'd say this, they were, they were kind of waiting. They had this longing, didn't they? They knew the Holy Spirit was going to come at some stage, and so they were all gathered together. There was this longing. They were completely and utterly, if you like, just waiting, longing for more. Then if we were to move to Acts 8 and the, and the church at Samaria, and I was thinking, how would I describe this group of people? And if I had to describe this group of people, I'd, I'd kind of describe them in this way. Well, they were, they were kind of receptive, weren't they? They were open to being prayed with. They probably didn't even know who Peter and John were. They might have heard some of the stories about Peter and John, but all of a sudden they, they, they turn up, but they're, they're open. They're not, they're not resistant. And then when I think about the, Saul, and I think, well, how would I describe Saul? And I think about Saul and I think, well, he was completely hostile. Completely hostile, almost completely resistant. No way, that's not happening to me. And then when I think about the, the next group, and I think about Cornelius and his, and his household, and I think about them, and I think, well, they were completely and utterly unlikely, weren't they? That's what the Jews thought. Holy Spirit can't move in them. He just doesn't operate in that way. Completely unlikely. And then I think about the church in, in Ephesus and I look at each one of them and I think, well, they'd never heard of the Holy Spirit. What that means is this. Of course, they'd heard of the words Holy Spirit, but they didn't know anything about him. They were completely, if you like, uninformed. And so I think of those, those five groups Longing, open, receptive, hostile over here, unlikely, uninformed. And I kind of think, which category would we be in this morning? You know, have we, have we come on the day of Pentecost thinking, more of you, God. The longing for more. Or have we come with thought? Well, I'm open.
I'm open. If God wants to do something more in my life, then I'm, then I'm open for that. Maybe we've come and we might be a bit hostile and we feel a bit uncomfortable because, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's for other people. Other Christians, maybe we feel a bit kind of, he couldn't do that in my life. Just completely and utterly unlikely. Or maybe we feel like, I've forgotten it was the day of Pentecost. Completely uninformed. What is all this about? You know, I wonder which that is. You see, here's why I think this is important. If I was to say to you, what were you doing earlier this year on Wednesday the 6th of February? The chances are that none of you probably know. And yet, I remember exactly what I was doing on Wednesday the 6th of February. You see, while I was on sabbatical, I kept a journal. And as I kept a journal, there are kind of highlight days. There are kind of days where, sort of like, it was just really, really, really special. And Wednesday the 6th of February was, was, was one of those days. And some of you know I spent going into my sabbatical thinking about one question. And the question was this. It was like, how was I going to reinvent my, my prayer life? Because it had been good, but it wasn't going to be good enough. And it wasn't going to be good enough for the future. And so I'd wrestled with this question. And by now you're thinking, well, I've been wrestling with this question for 11 weeks. And you know when you've been wrestling with something kind of like, and you've, you're not getting anywhere, and you're overthinking things, and, and, and so on from there. And I was in then, I was in North Wales, I was at a Jesuit spirituality center in, in North Wales. And kind of like I'd gone there with the hope listen I'm 11 weeks in I want an answer to this question I really do and it wasn't working and so I went out for a hike that afternoon just a short one two and a half hours or so short hike but I didn't get too far because just outside of that where the spirituality house is is there's this small Welsh village you know not that big the sort of village that you'll have all driven through before or seen through before and at the centre of the village there's, there's the primary school you know not a huge primary school the sort of school where there might be 40 children in it and next door to the to the to the school is is this medieval church the church of Corpus Christi and, and I could see, basically, that, well, I could see that I knew the church was open. And so I thought, am I going to stop or not? I'm thinking, I want to go out and hike. And so I go and I open the door and kind of look around this church. It's not a big church. It's kind of as big as the chapel there, so you can get around it pretty quickly. And then I go and sit down, and I sit down just in the pew, like as if it's the front of the left-hand pew there. And I kind of start to pray. Not sure why I'm praying there. And that was the moment. 
That was the moment everything changed. That was the moment that the, that the Spirit fell on me in ways that, sure, I felt the Holy Spirit move in my life before, but that was the moment he just fell. That was the moment when, sort of like he just moved and said, he knew exactly. And sometimes we, we go through things and we wrestle with questions and sometimes we just got to wait for his time. And then he fell. And sort of like he just kind of manifested himself and I started to speak in these other languages that kind of, I don't know if they were heavenly, I don't know if they were earthly, but he did. Because that's the thing, when you speak in tongues in that context, you haven't got a clue. But I knew it was this expression of love and praise. And you know, that was the moment that everything changed and that then I knew exactly what used to have to happen. And all the moments that the things working up beforehand were all of the moment were going to fall into place. And they just did. And you know, we've had this week of, of, of prayer. And you know, this week I, I felt God say to me and I felt, right, I want you to tell people this story. I want you to be kind of personal and tell them this is what this is what I'm doing. And I want you to give that opportunity to other people this morning. And I kind of said, God, I don't really want to do that, please. You know. And then he said, Why don't you? And then I realized that it was because of my own fears, my own insecurities, and my own pride, and I kind of thought that's not a good enough reason. And so, what we're going to do is we're just going to ask Trudy and the group to come back and they're going to sing. And if you want sort of like to receive a bit more of the Holy Spirit, you know, he'll meet you in your pew, he will. Basically, but if you want to come and be prayed with to receive the Holy Spirit, then I'm just going to ask you to come and, come and join us and we'll just, just pray for you here. Basically, as we do that now. So why don't we stand together? And why don't we pray? I often find that what really is helpful for me is to kind of just just close my eyes and to kind of just open my hands to him. just to feel his, his presence. Sometimes the Holy Spirit moves in us in, in so many different ways. The way that I can feel the Holy Spirit is as if his presence just flows through my life and all of a sudden I know I'm not alone. And maybe he might move in that way you. And so Lord, we just pray, would you come by your Holy Spirit. It's not a command, it's barely an invitation, it's just an appeal. And where the bones are dry, would you just come and breathe new life?
And where the breath might be a bit stale, would you come and breathe your new life into it? Come and move in each of our lives. Come and bring us the fire of your love. Come and bring us the breath of your peace. Come and bring the boldness of your proclamation. Oh, Holy Spirit.